Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may be tuning in. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's edition of Bible Bites, episode 320, as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. This is uh, my my reading today, excuse me, is in Acts chapter 9 and 10. So let's get into that today. Now, we uh, immediately start off with Acts chapter 9 with the uh, person that was introduced to us first in Acts chapter 7. And then again, we see uh, some evidence of him in Acts chapter 8. And this is Saul. And if you'll remember, he was holding the coats at Stephen's um, murder, at Stephen's martyrdom, and that was um, consenting to his death. We see that, and now we come and we find out a little bit more about him from this place, as well as from Galatians chapter 1, and some other places in the scriptures where Paul gives more of his account. So let's develop a little bit of understanding about who he is. He's going to encounter Jesus, and he ends up getting saved. But let's look at the backstory. He's one that has been breathing threats and um, seeking murder for the church and for the Christians. He has sought to bring them bound and return them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. So that's why he's on his way to Damascus to begin with. And then in verse 3 through 9, we see, but God, but God had other plans. So Saul, on the way, encounters the Lord, and he is given direction here. Um, He has three days of blindness and prayer and fasting. Let's read about this a little bit so we understand a little more. He encounters the Lord in verse 4. He says, he sees the light in verse 3, 4, then he fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God takes personally what happens to his children. Saul was after them, but in reality, he was after and hated Jesus, who they represented. And so he was persecuting Jesus at that time. And Paul, it says, and he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, it's futile for you to try to keep kicking against me. So Paul, it says, so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So he gives him direction to go and wait and he would be told. Now, we also read that Saul is made blind And he has three days of blindness, which he spends in prayer and fasting while he waits. They bring him on to Damascus. And then we have this uh, man that enters the picture here called Ananias. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Verse 11, notice this. God gets very specific with his directions when he needs to. Jesus knows every detail about us, every detail about where we live, everything that needs to be uh, known or that, that is applicable is known by the Lord, and he can reveal it in his own way when necessary. And so the Lord says to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, 
and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now, Ananias is told to, to go down and seek this man named Saul. Well, Saul is the one that's been persecuting and murdering Christians, trying to consent to their murder, trying to um, deliver them as prisoners so they can be punished and killed. And so, you know, Ananias is going, uh, you know, uh, just paraphrasing here, Lord, you sure you know? I mean, do you know this man? Are you sure? So Ananias says, and he says in verse 13, Ananias answered, Lord, I heard from, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So God tells Ananias more details, and Ananias is obedient. Notice that Saul is God's chosen vessel, for specifically in reference to three individuals or three groups, Gentiles, kings, and Jews. And Paul, who, Saul, who became Paul later, did in fact minister to all of them and become a witness of Jesus to all of them. He was also uh, let be known here that he would end up being a martyr. He would end up suffering a lot, and he did. We read about it uh, in the rest of the New Testament. So, verse 17, that settled it for Ananias. He, he took the Lord at his word, he believed, and he acted on that belief. It settled for him, and now he obeys, trusting and believing God. So, notice when he comes to Saul, he says, Brother Saul, and then he lays his hands on him, and Saul's sight is restored, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he is even baptized, pre, um, um, presumably baptized in water. Saul joins the church at Damascus, and his ministry officially begins. He begins preaching Jesus as the Son of God. He is now convinced of that. Now, between verses 19, 20, and 21, somewhere in there, we find some of that historical information in Galatians chapter 1, when Paul is giving his own account of that event. So after his conversion, it says he first went early um, to seek God alone. He went to Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, which was in Asia in um, Arabia. And he may have been there for three years, but we do know that he returns to Damascus. And then three years later, he goes to Jerusalem. All of this time, he's spending prayer and fasting and studying the word of God preparing for solid and sound ministry, and it was all training ground for him. God doesn't waste anything. And God let Saul know that he could not be a novice. He had to get alone with him. He had to learn. He had to unlearn some of the things he had learned before. He had to understand how the Old Testament prophets that he had studied under Gamaliel 
and all of the writings of the Old Testament, the Tanakh, now connected with Jesus, how they were fulfilled in Jesus. And Saul had to learn all of that. So he did all of that during this early time where he sought the Lord, he got alone with God, and he developed sound doctrine and a solid ministry foundation. And so then his ministry launches forward. He was a former student of Gamaliel. We saw that. We saw Gamaliel introduced in Acts chapter 5, verse 34. And he began to understand and explain the Messiah from the Old Testament scriptures. Now he's starting to upset these religious Jews that he used to be a part of uh, because one of their own kind of turned on him, I guess, turned on them, so to speak. So the religious Jews now get to where they want to kill him too. But the church has the witness of the Spirit, has seen Saul's conversion and seen the authenticity of it. And so the church helps him escape. So now he goes to Jerusalem and they're not sure about him. But Barnabas steps up and becomes a witness to Saul's conversion and ministry. And so Saul is received. Now, at, at an early time, whether it's this time or earlier, Galatians 1 tells us that he was uh, there for, in Jerusalem for a period of 15 days, and he saw Peter, and then he also saw James, the brother of Jesus. More threats are leveled against him, and so now the church sends him to Tarsus for his own safety. Now I want to read verse 31 of chapter 9. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Therein, in this verse, lies the formula for church growth. The correct formula is found right there in that verse Walking indicates a lifestyle, not just every now and then, but walking daily, treading along on, on a, a regular basis, living this way. It's a lifestyle in the fixed position of the fear of the Lord, which brings reverence and awe. They had the fear of the Lord and they had the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That gave them confidence and peace. This was how the church of the living God grew and expanded in the days of the Acts of the Apostles when they were living and when they were building this church. And it was beginning. They started and they founded it on the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Scriptures. Both of those are necessary, and that is how churches grow healthily. Verse 32 through 35, Peter travels some, and we see him coming to this man called Aeneas, and he performs a miracle for this man. And through the signs and the wonders that confirm the word of God, which is exactly what Mark said, people are getting saved in that day. Then in verse 36 through 43, we read about this encounter at Joppa. There was a certain disciple, Tabitha, also translated as Dorcas, 
and she had died, and they were mourning her death. And Peter came, and through the power of Jesus, she was raised from the dead. And so in Joppa, or Jaffa today, many people got saved. And so Peter ended up staying there a long time with Simon the Tanner. Now we get into chapter 10, and he's still with Simon the Tanner. And so that takes us into this situation. We read in the early verses about this man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a Gentile. He was a centurion out of the Italian regiment of devout men and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So he was a Gentile, and yet he's praying to the Lord, he's fearing God, he's honoring the Lord with generous alms and, and charities and so forth. And he sees in a vision... This, uh, this angel of God comes to him, and Corn he calls his name Cornelius, and Cornelius says, well, what is it, Lord? Notice this in verse 4. So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up before the Lord for a memorial before God. Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. How precious is that? Beloved, sometimes we discount our praying times and our giving of time, talents, or treasures, and yet every bit of that God takes note of. God remembers it all. He keeps track of it. The Bible says that our prayers are like incense that are raised before Him. It talks about our tears being put in a bottle and kept before Him. He records all of these things. He keeps note of them. And here we see that there's a perfect timing. We pray and pray, and sometimes we don't see a result right away. Don't give up because God has perfect timing for everything. And so these prayers that Cornelius had been sowing, these alms that he had been giving over and over and over again, now it was time for something special to come his way because he had sent those up to the Lord. And they were brought before the Lord as a memorial. Praise God. And that's still true today with us as well. Hallelujah. And so um, so his prayers had become a memorial. And, and one other thing I did want to point out about that before I move on is that our prayers have a long-lasting effect. We don't know how long... Cornelius had been praying these things, but they finally came before the Lord as a memorial. It was now time for God to act. And so there's a long-lasting effect. Prayers today that we are praying can benefit our children for generations to come. Prayers that were pay prayed over us two and three and four generations ago are being evidenced by the blessing that we're experiencing now. How much of that was because of prayers that were offered up many, many, many years ago? Praise God. God keeps track of that. And they come before him as a memorial in his timing. So Cornelius is told to send for Peter. He's told where he's at. He's told that he's at Simon the Tanner's house by the Mediterranean Sea in the town of Jaffa. And so they go, they go for him. Well, at the same time that these men are coming to Peter, 
Peter goes up in Simon's house to the rooftop and is praying. He gets hungry. And so he, uh, while they go to get him something to eat, he falls into this vision. He, he falls into a, a vision, a deep sleep of some kind. And he has this vision about this sheet that comes down from heaven with a lot of unclean animals on it. Peter was a Jewish man. He would not have eaten anything that was not kosher. And this sheet comes down full of unkosher animals and birds and so forth. And and then he hears the thing, the, the voice, the Lord tell him, eat it, Peter, rise up and eat. And Peter's like, oh, no, Lord, these things are not kosher. I'm not going to eat that. But notice this in verse 15. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. These unclean animals represented the Gentiles, those who were not kosher, so to speak, in the way that they were outside of the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, and those that were um, brought into the covenant of Abraham through physical circumcision. These were, were not those people. And so the Jews didn't necessarily uh, believe that they were uh, clean or that they could be cleansed or whatever unless they were proselytized and brought into the covenant of Abraham through physical circumcision and other things. And that's not what God is telling Peter here. So he gives him this vision and he says, I'm about to do a powerful work. And people that you once thought were unclean, don't call them common. Don't call them unclean now because I'm doing a work to cleanse them. I'm doing a powerful work to save them. That's what he's telling Peter here. And so he tells him, don't discount what I'm showing you. And so all of this is happening. Then these men come to uh, come to the house looking for it. Now, Peter's wondering about this. And so the, the Lord says... Um, to him, you know, that, that these men are going to come to see him. So Peter's thinking about this, and he says, The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, and doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So here he goes, and he's fixing to see exactly what this vision meant, and its full interpretation. He didn't have that yet. But the Spirit of God tells him, go on with them, do not doubt anything, for I have sent them. So he goes, and he comes to Cornelius. Well, Cornelius has already gathered a bunch of people. He's got a bunch of his relatives and all of that in this house waiting on Peter. He's excited to see what Peter will tell him. And so Peter comes to his house. And notice in verse 28... I want to. I want you to see this. Uh, Peter is talking here, and he says here. He says. Then he said to them, "You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with, or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean." Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. And then he asks him, he says, well, why did you send me? And so Cornelius tells him about what happened to him. And, and then Cornelius tells him at, in verse 
33. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Notice that this Gentile has a heart that is open to God. God has prepared him. God has given him a hunger, a hunger for God, so much so that he went and called a bunch of people and he said, we, we're fixing to hear from God. Come over here. And so he gets this house full. Peter comes and he says, now we're all sitting here ready. We want to hear. We got open ears. We're hungry to hear what God is commanding us through you, Peter. So Peter goes into it. They give him an open door. He opens his mouth and he says, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. I want you to notice this, verse 35. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. He is not talking about a work salvation there. He's talking about those, he says, that fear him, that will come under his lordship. And the way we do that is through the act of salvation. We call upon the name of Jesus. We repent of our sins. We ask him to forgive us. He comes in. He writes our name in the Lamb's book of life. He forgives us. And he gives to us a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord where we honor him and acknowledge him as holy for who he is. And then the works of righteousness are a byproduct of that, a byproduct of that relationship. Hallelujah. And he says that anybody in any nation that will do that, God will accept them. And that is still true today, wherever you are. Whatever country you may be in, whatever citizenship you may have, whatever ethnicity you are, whoever you are, God will accept you if you have this same thing because God is after the world. He is drawing people out of every place in this earth and he will accept any who come to him in simple, true faith. Praise be to God. So, Peter preaches the gospel to them. He preaches it all, and they receive his message. They repent of their sins, and they are baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues just like they were the, the group was in the upper room on, in Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> and Peter, one of the things he has told them is verse 43, to him all the prophets witnessed that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins and so they're they're getting filled with the holy spirit of god hallelujah and they're even going down to the river or wherever and getting baptized in water hallelujah they're brand new believers they're now saved baptized in the holy spirit and baptized in water and so peter stays with them it says for many days we don't know how long but I believe he was there discipling them. He was there teaching them. He was there showing them more and more of who Jesus is and helping them to begin to establish sound doctrine and a sound church body there. Oh, beloved. Hallelujah. God is still. He started it that way, and he's still been doing it that way even till today. All of these things are still true and applicable to us today. I pray this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you today, in Jesus' name.